We love you, Lord. In your precious name we do pray. We ask, Lord, that you bless Pastor Steve as he brings this message this morning. It's in your precious name we do pray. Amen. So I'm wearing my Edgewater shirt today. Rebecca posted something on the church Facebook group yesterday because six years ago, yesterday, I know, time flies, we rolled into Pittsburgh for the very first time. And I was looking at one of the pictures that was posted and it was a picture of uh, a little sign that said welcome and it was in front of the, the fireplace, the defunct fireplace that doesn't actually work. Um, and to the next of it was a big pack of toilet paper and, and a triple pack of Lysol wipes. And who knew that just two, uh, about two and a half years later that those would be like valuable commodities in our world. We would have never thought that that was possible, that you'd go to Walmart and you couldn't find toilet paper for a while. <laughs> the whole reason... that I'm here today is because of the prayer that we're going to focus on this morning. When I was a teen, I attended, and some of you know bits of the story, I might have even shared parts of it before, but I attended the Covenant Church's version of Unite that some of our students and adults attended last year. And it was at that time I think I was 16 or maybe even 17 at the time. And I remember for the first time in my life feeling something a little bit different. And I wouldn't say that I experienced an audible, pre audible presence of God like he spoke to me or a visual representation of God, but there was just something in my heart and I prayed a prayer that I wasn't intending to pray, and I just said, Lord, I will serve you wherever that may be. This is real simple. I was not old. I didn't have big, complicated words or anything. And guess what? I went home, and I forgot about that prayer. But who didn't forget about it? <laughs> the Lord, because as we've been looking through this series, Dangerous Prayers, when we have the courage to pray prayers like this, whether we know it or not, God will answer these prayers on his time frame. We've looked at four prayers so far. Make me bold, speak to me, break me, and last week we looked at search me. And the fifth one that we're looking at today is very similar to these other ones. And it is this, send me. It's not the whole prayer, but it's the last little bit of the prayer. It actually says, here I am, send me. The prayer that I prayed when I was a teen, I had no idea what that meant. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. I didn't know him very much, but it was a version of this particular prayer. And I thought that God had me on a particular path. And looking back, it was a very convoluted path with lots of bumps and twists and turns and many points where I wasn't following God very closely. But eventually, six years ago, God led us 
here in this particular way. If prayer is about conversation with God, then today the prayer, send me, I believe is much deeper than simply going to a particular place or a new location. Although this can play a part. I think that this prayer actually reveals something deeper within you if and when you have the courage to pray it. And it's this, that it actually reveals a posture of openness within you to follow God's leading. Send me might be to a place or it might be to a person or it might be to a new endeavor in your life. It might be to something that you aren't really considering right now or don't even know about. I think this prayer is more about having a posture of openness to God's leaning. It's a prayer that says, I want to be available to you, God. Send me is a prayer that appears in the Old Testament book. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. It's one of the longest books of the Bible. It is, it's a book that if you start to read it, you have to read it kind of in chunks. You can't, it's a hard one to sit down and try to read the whole thing through. Number one, it's 66 chapters and it's a lot of prophecies and it's a lot of hard words in there. The reason it's so long is that Isaiah was called as a prophet of the Lord and he served for almost 60 years. So when you think about all of the things that God told him to say and speak to God's people, you can understand why so much is recorded in the Bible. Isaiah was an official under the power and authority of King Uzziah. And this was a king who became king when he was only 16 years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. So now he was an older man by this point, and he was generally a good king. But he had one problem. He allowed the people to keep their, what they called, high places, their pagan shrines where they would offer sacrifices to other gods. Some of those cultural things that they were holding on to. And that was the one thing that God said he did not want them to do. He only wanted them to serve him. And so as a punishment, God actually afflicted this king with debilitating leprosy during his life. So he was a good king in many ways, but because he was disobedient in this one way, he had debilitating leprosy. His son actually helped him rule for the last 10 years. And then eventually he died. And when he died, Isaiah had a vision from God that began his journey. It's like God spoke to him in a very particular and new way, and that set the path of his life for the next 60 years. This vision of God's greatness and holiness actually transformed how he saw the world and how he chose to live in it. Chapter 6 briefly describes this vision. This is one of the most well-known sections from Isaiah. Some parts are really easy to skip over, but chapter 6 is one of those ones that stands out. 
It describes this vision of God on the throne. Let me read the first four verses for us this morning. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. It's a, yeah? There's an actual song for that. I know. (laughs) It's a grand and terrifying vision. When we've talked about the Old Testament before, whenever people encountered the presence of God, they were always afraid. Because typically, if you saw the direct presence of God, what happened? You died. That's it. You're going to die. Even... Even some of those guys that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant around and one of them slipped and, and touched it like he died. Because God was so holy and is so holy that nothing unholy can come into the presence of God. So this is how Isaiah is thinking in this moment. This amazing vision that he has and he's terrified of what's going to happen. People were not used to being in the direct presence of God. The idea that none can stand and live. So when Isaiah sees God's glorious nature, he believes the end is near. You know, like those people that hold those signs, the end is nigh. This is what Isaiah thought in this very moment. And it leads him actually to a deep conviction about his own sinfulness. See, if he's going to die, he, he doesn't want to die and be separated from the Lord. He wants to be in the Lord's presence. Because when you experience the glorious, holy presence of God, it evokes both awe in us and it can reveal the places where we fall short. When we are in the presence of a holy God, all that is within us that is unholy becomes painfully Evident. Thankfully, though, this section of Scripture also shows that God is willing to forgive our sin. Let me read the next three verses. Verse 5. Then I said, Isaiah, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Isaiah sees the Lord He hears the praise of these angels around the throne. 
And it is a moment where he realizes how unclean he is in comparison. He needs the grace of God's forgiveness, and indeed he receives it. God removes his guilt and forgives him. This is what allows Isaiah to pray the prayer that he prays. Verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? It's interesting that God says, This people, not my people. Gives you a sense of how God is feeling about his people in this moment. (laughs) This people. Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. He responds in a way that says, I'm available. Use me as your servant. I'm ready to do your will. What would you have me to do? What would you have of me? Admitting our sinfulness is hard. It always has been and it always will be. We prefer not to think about it. And while receiving forgiveness removes guilt... The consequences of our actions often remain. We know that to be true. And how God refines you through that process can be painful, and oftentimes it is. It is also necessary so that you can be the person he has called you to be. See, when God forgives you, he also opens you to be able to do his will under his power in this world. You too are able to serve our good and holy God in the unique ways that he has created you. You can serve in ways that I probably never can. And I can serve in ways that perhaps you can't. And together we serve our good and holy God. As we reflect on this today, I know that God, because this is how God works, may be prompting something within you. Prompting your heart to address something within you. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to do that. Because when we have the courage to address what is unholy within us, to confess our sin and our flaws before the Lord, the Lord is faithful to forgive. This is what he does for Isaiah. And this is what he can do for each of us as well. When you are made right in your relationship with the Lord, God will see the openness of your heart and provide ways for you to serve him well. I know that is true in my life, and I know that is true in your life as well. Now, that's the ideal. But there's a primary barrier for us. And the reason that I put this prayer in the category of dangerous prayers is that it is hard to offer these words to God for what I think is one primary reason. And it's this. Fear. Fear. It's often something that comes up when we let our imaginations run wild We try to work out all the possible contingencies. We get ahead of the game. And God is saying, 
you're, you're already afraid. There's no way you're actually going to be able to pray what you need to be able to pray right now. The thought of God, of what God might say when we pray prayers like this can make us downright afraid. Is God going to ask me to do something scary or uncomfortable? Is God going to send me to a place I don't want to go? Is God going to move us to a state where I don't know anybody? Will God ask me to do something I'm not skilled at? Understand this. Fear is common. Everyone has it. We are all afraid at different times and in different ways. Amen. In fact, the Bible shares a lot of stories about people who were fearful. So know this. You're not alone. I'm not alone. We're not alone in this. A couple examples this morning. Consider Esther. We've talked about her before. When she hears the plight of her people, it says she was greatly distressed. You know, she's the queen of the most powerful king of the land, perhaps the world at this time. And she's, a, she's secretly Jewish. She hasn't revealed that. So she asks for help. And then she says, And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Without even praying these specific words, send me, she in essence has already prayed that in her heart. Or what about Moses? He's a guy who has a lot of fear. When we read about him in Exodus, God appears in the burning bush to him after he's run away, after killing that Egyptian guy. And Moses at first, when he sees this burning bush, what does he say? He says the exact same words. He says, here I am. But when he hears about, about what God wants him to do, he was afraid. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. Lead my people? I'm nobody, God, he says. And the Lord speaks to his fear. He says, I will be with you. And then Moses says, but the people won't know who sent me. So God gives Moses his special name. I am who I am. And then Moses a third time, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? So God gives him a staff and allows him to do powerful miracles. And again, Moses pleads, well, I don't speak very well. And God says, I will be with you as you speak. I will tell you what to say. And then Moses for a fifth time says, Lord, please send someone else. He prays the opposite of this prayer. And when he does the opposite of this prayer, it says God got angry. And so God actually raises up Moses' brother Aaron to speak and become a priest. He uses it, Moses' brother. Even Jesus tells a story about three servants whose master entrusted each of them to watch over his money. And the first two invested what they were given and they made a profit. And for this, the master was greatly pleased. This is a story in Matthew chapter 25, 
It, it's, it, this is the master responding to the first two servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a third servant, and that servant was afraid. He decided to bury what he was given so he wouldn't lose it. And the master was not pleased with the results. Let me read verses 24 through 26. This is how the master responded to the third servant. Sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go, 25. I was like, that's not the right verse. There we go. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Aren't you happy? I added that last part. The, but the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. The third servant responded out of fear whether he was afraid of the master or whether he was afraid of some lack of self-confidence in himself. We don't know exactly the reason. Jesus ends his parable with this, verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. Not personal abundance, but an abundance to be used for the sake of of what God has entrusted you to do. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. This morning, when you consider being open and available to God, what fears come up for you about how God will respond if you say, here I am? I'm going to ask that question. I just decided that. I was going to ask it rhetorically. I want to actually ask it. What are some of the fears that you have about what God might say to you? I'll tell you a fear that I had. I don't like being up front. I don't like speaking in public. I'm more an introvert in the homebody. That was a fear of mine. It still is a little bit. What are some of the fears that you have when you pray to God about what He might say to you? That He would call you to go to some far, faraway place that you don't know anything about, different people, different culture, different food. All yeah, those are legitimate fears. It's scary. He might call me to say something that won't be received well. Oof. He might call you to say something that won't be received well. Welcome to Isaiah's world <laughs> for 60 years. Isaiah was actually liked at the beginning, but over time people got tired of saying of that message, repent, turn back to the Lord, follow him. And it didn't end very well for him. In fact, most of the prophets were very discouraged at times to have to continue to say what God had told them to say. What are some other legitimate fears? I would have to minister in an area 
out of my comfort zone. That God would say, I'd like you to try ministering in an area outside of your comfort zone. Maybe in an area where you're not super strong in. Yeah. That he would ask you to do something very vocal. Vulnerable. Yeah. To reveal something maybe within you that you're just not comfortable speaking. Some people are not comfortable talking about themselves very much. At least what's going on inside. Yeah. What other fears? Making amends to a relationship that has been broken. Oof. That's a tough one. What if God asks you to make amends with someone that you're not ready to forgive? In a broken relationship, yeah. Or to deal with pain. That you haven't dealt with. Because yeah. see, we don't like pain. You know, we prefer to just, you know, stuff it down and just forget that it's there. And move on. In order to speak to those fears, let me ask a second question now. What are some of the promises that God makes in His Word that can speak to some of the fears that we've mentioned here this morning? I will be with you. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I will always take care of you. I will always take care of you. I will always take care of you. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's not just a song. Do not be afraid. When Jesus sends his disciples out into the world, they were afraid at times as well. But he promises that he will be with them. You see, when we are doing his will, God never leaves you on your own. In fact, as we continue to obey him, it actually says that we get closer to God. We are able to draw near to God. James 4, 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. In other words, draw near to me, and God will draw near to you. So where does God want us to be? Near to him. Isaiah responded to God's call, yet when he heard the message God wanted him to deliver, he still was afraid. Because he had to deliver a harsh message. I'm not going to read it this morning. You can read on in chapter 6. But this is what Isaiah says when he hears what God tells him to say. He says, How long, O Lord? How long will I need to do this? And the Lord, in essence, responds, as long as it takes. In Isaiah's case, it's not satisfying. That's like saying, because I'm a parent, you know, because I said so. It's that sort of mentality. God says, as long as it takes, but then he gives a hopeful promise to Isaiah. He says, a seed will grow out of the stump that seems dead. And then into chapter 7, that's when we read some of the verses around Christmas time.
Like Isaiah, we also have the opportunity to respond to God because of what he has already done for us, even before we know the details of what God is going to ask of us. There are a lot of different ways that we can prepare ourselves to follow God's direction, ways that we can be available and open to God's leading. I put just a couple on one slide this morning. Some of the ways that we can prepare us. See, when you pray this prayer, God will answer it. I would encourage you, if you are going to pray this prayer, to decide beforehand to say yes. Because in the moment, the temptation is going to pretend is going to be to either forget it or to prepare, pretend that you didn't pray it. Or in my case, to pray it and then forget about it right away. I would also encourage us, perhaps today, what's one step of faith that you can take? What's one thing that you can do in your life that requires an act of faith? It's a way to exercise that habit of being available to God. Think about what would require you to have faith to say yes to God. And then if it's the right timing and if it seems like it's according to God's will, then maybe the time is right to to just do it. Ask God to speak to you and then be available to serve and love out of your unique strengths. When you pray this prayer, God will answer you. So look for the opportunities that he brings into your life. Sometimes I've said before, that annoying person, they're not just in your life to annoy you. They might be actually God-placed in your life because you have the unique ability to speak truth or be love to them in that moment. They're also called EGRs. What does that stand for, Rebecca? Extra grace required people. Yes, we all have them in our lives. Look for the opportunities that God sends to you. He wouldn't if he didn't have it in store for you. People, places, positions. And if you are still fearful, remember that enduring promise. I am with you until the very end of the age. Let's pray. God, being available is one of the best things we can do as we seek to follow you and to serve you all of our days. And so I pray that in these moments, as you continue to speak to us, that this prayer, Here I am, send me, might reveal the attitude or posture that we have within our heart. We know that what you say to us might be scary. It might provoke a fear response. Some people might actually have sweaty palms right now thinking about that. In those moments, will you help us cling to the promises that you have made? Just as you called your saints, your servants, all throughout your word, you also equipped and enabled them to do what you called them to do through the power of your Holy Spirit. If that was true then, it is true now. So Lord, bless this group of people as you send us out into the world today.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Good promise, y'all. Yes. yes, the Lord never lets go of us. So if that is true, and it is, then go out now to love and serve the Lord and one another. You go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, so proclaim the good news with your life. Serve the Lord with gladness and be at peace now and forever. Amen, church. Have a wonderful week. 